so about uh, maybe 20 years ago or so when I was in college, I remember uh, I was in Virginia, a uh, little basketball court in Fairfax, Virginia, Northern Virginia. Uh, we're playing basketball. There's a, there's a bunch of us who are playing. Uh, we're, I think we're on break from college or something. And so uh, <clears throat> our college ministry, our pastor was there as well. And a bunch of us were playing and you know, we're on our best behavior because our pastor's there and everyone's trying to you know, do well. And there's this one guy there. He was uh, didn't, didn't one part of our, uh, necessarily part of our circle of friends, wasn't part of our ministry. And he was playing, so I don't, either he didn't know or he didn't really care that our pastor was there. Hot-headed guy, very athletic. He was a great volleyball player, but <clears throat> not so good at basketball. And so every time he shot, he would, he would miss his shots. And he was trying so hard uh, to impress all these people he didn't know, but he was struggling. None of his shots were going in. He was getting very frustrated. And so he would yell at himself and he would curse at himself and all of us were wondering, man, I wonder what, I wonder what our pastor's going <clears> to <throat> say. And so a few times up and down this was happening. He was getting very animated. He was getting very upset. Um, I thought it was kind of comical because he was on the other team and he kept missing and it was good for us. We were thinking, what is, what is uh, <clears throat> Pastor IJ going to say? And so one time uh, down, this guy started yelling at himself, started uh, getting so upset. And so our pastor looked at him and said, don't worry. Just try harder. And he ran down to the other side. And we were laughing. In our, we wouldn't dare. We were too polite to laugh out loud. But in my heart, I was thinking, he's trying as hard as he can. And he's trying as hard as he can. It doesn't do him any good to tell him to try harder. But I was, <laughs> it was so funny to me. And even like 20 years later, I think about it. And I think it's the funniest thing. Because the worst thing to tell to somebody who's trying as hard as they can is to tell them, just try a little bit harder. I think that... The frustration that the guy looked at him, he's like, what are you talking about? <clears throat> I think that kind of frustration, the same frustration that you might face, that we might face when we get into a big car accident. Our car is totaled, our friend comes by, and he looks at the car, he looks at you, and he says, don't worry. And then he walks away. The kind of frustration you feel when uh, you've applied to <clears throat> 15 different colleges or 15 different uh, job opportunities. And you get 15 rejection letters back. And someone says to you, looks at you and says, hey, don't worry. Don't worry. And then they walk away. Or you, you get a voicemail on your, on your phone or you get a message on your phone that says, it is awful, terrible news. And someone looks at you and they say, don't worry. To me, that's one of the worst pieces, most frustrating pieces of advice that I could. When I'm overwhelmed, <clears throat> when I feel beat up by life, when I feel stressed out, when I feel like I've got all of these things on my plate and someone says to me, hey, don't worry. Sometimes I just want to punch them. Not in the face, maybe in the arm or on the leg, but I want to punch them. It's frustrating to me because I'm doing my best not to worry and all you're doing is telling me not to worry. What kind of a friend is that, I might think? If someone just says to you, hey, don't worry. Thankfully, thankfully, what a friend we have in Jesus. Because he not only tells us, don't worry, but he goes deeper than that. He gets to the heart of worry and he pokes and he prods in order to help us to realize why we don't have to worry. How we can actually overcome worry. It's like our pastor not just saying try harder, but our pastor telling him, 
how he might actually be able to put the ball through the basket. Jesus does that for us because he knows much more. And worry and overcoming worry is so much more than just someone going up to you and saying, hey, don't worry about it. But there's a heart of it. And so he tells us how we can actually slay the dragon, the beast, the monster that is worry. And he understands it's not this one size fits all. And so we're not going to give you this one thing that you need to do in order to overcome worry. But like many things, Worry is a multifaceted monster. And so what Jesus does in, in Matthew chapter 6, we talked about it last week, but Matthew chapter 6, is he gives a lot of different reasons why we don't need to worry. So what we want to do today, what I want to do today, is to show at least four of these reasons why Jesus gives us to not worry. And what we want to do, in essence, is in the war against worry, in the battle against worry, to give us different weapons, so to speak, that we can have at our arsenal, in our arsenal, so that when worry comes, we'll be able to engage in the battle using one of these weapons that we've been given. And someday, one of these weapons will work. Some days they won't. We'll need to use a different weapon. But what Jesus does is he realizes there's no one size fits all. And so at different days, in different times, in different situations, for different people, one of these or a combination of these will be helpful for us as we seek to live out this command, do not worry. Matthew six twenty-five to 34. This is God's word. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching. This is uh, what he says, Matthew 6, verse 25 <clears throat> until the end of the chapter. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Isn't life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow, store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Uh, each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word. So three times in this passage, Jesus says, uh, do not worry. Okay? Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. What is he doing when he's saying that? He's saying a very simple thing. For those of us who feel like, you know what, I'm just, I just worry. That's just who I am. It's part of my personality. It's part of my disposition. My mom worried, my dad worried, my brother worried, my sister worried. It just runs in our family. I can't help it. Jesus is saying, no, 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 hold your horses. <laughs> I wouldn't say, do not worry if this was just part of who you are. It's like you saying, hey, I'm Caucasian or I'm Korean or I'm uh, Puerto Rican. 
If someone were to say to you, hey, don't be Korean, don't be Puerto Rican, don't be Chinese, you'd say, I can't do that. That's, that's just who I am. And for those of us who say, I just worry, that's just part of my personality, Jesus is saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going to have that. If worry was a disposition, then Jesus would say, there's nothing you can do about it. But if worry is a sin, then Jesus can say, do not worry. If worry is a sin, which Jesus says it is, then it can be repented of and then it can be overcome. So for those of us who worry, it's not simply about your predisposition, your upbringing, your genetic makeup, your environment. Those things may play a factor, but at the end of the day, worry is a sin and it must be repented of and overcome by the grace of God. So Jesus gives us uh, four ways that we can do that. But understand this, that Jesus isn't just... Um, I, I said this before, but Jesus isn't just giving Barnes and Noble, go to the self-help section, how do you overcome worry and anxiety? He's not giving you that. Because he's saying there's a difference in the way we live as citizens of the kingdom of God. If you have Jesus Christ in your life, if you have me in your life, if you surrender to the lordship and the rule and the reign and the kingship of Jesus Christ, if your citizenship has been changed from earth to heaven, then there's something in you that the world doesn't have. And so what Jesus is saying, listen, let's apply the gospel into your situation so that through grace, through mercy, through the kingdom of God in you, the spirit of God in you, the word of God through you, uh, we can overcome the sin of worry. Okay, four weapons. All of these, yeah, at some point or another, will be helpful. Uh, first thing. Remember where your treasure is. Okay, remember where your treasure is. First thing he says here, verse 25, therefore, if you've ever uh, taken any English class, language, arts, reading, comprehension, the first rule is you have to understand this about sentence structure and grammar. Understand these transition words. What is the therefore? Therefore, you understand that this is one sermon. We're talking about worry, two sermons, but it's nestled in the context of a broader sermon where Jesus is talking about life in the kingdom. And what he has just said in the thought right before, he just says, you will either store up treasures in heaven or you'll lay up treasures on earth. And he says, if you're in the kingdom of God, if you're a child of God, your treasure is above. And if your treasure is above, you don't need to worry about things like your food and your drink and your clothing and your shoes and all of these accessories. It says, if your treasure really is above, then it means your eyes will be fixed above. It means your master is no longer here. Your audience is no longer here. Your applause is no longer here. But all of those things are fastened upwards onto heaven. And so Jesus is saying, if you understand this, like you really understand this, your treasures are not in this earth then you won't worry about the things of earth as much. Again, this is not the answer to every one of your worries, but it, for some of us, is the answer to some of them. When we understand that our treasure is not here, then we can really begin to say as we sing sometimes, all I once held dear, built my life upon. All this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I've counted loss. Why? It's spent. It's worthless now. Why? Compared to this one thing. Knowing Jesus. If that is, he is your treasure of treasures. If he's your wealth beyond measure, your treasure is above them. We don't worry about things on earth as much. When I was in elementary school, 
Everybody wore sneakers. Sneakers were the things to wear, just regular sneakers. And then at some point in my elementary school years, some fashion designer invented these things called high-top shoes. And high-top became all the rage when I was in like second, third, fourth grade, maybe the Air Jordan, whoever, whatever reason it was. High-top became all the rage. And I remember looking at other people, and I'm like, man, those are kind of cool. They look neat. They protect your ankles. And people are like, dude, you got to get high-tops. And so I remember saying to my mom, I need to get high-top. I need to get new shoes. And she's like, your shoes are fine. They're not falling apart. My, my mom never bought me shoes or dad never bought me shoes just because I wanted them. They said, you need to need them. And so unless the shoes were falling apart, we wouldn't get new shoes. And so uh, I made my shoes fall apart. I dragged them on the ground. I scraped them on the floor. And then I, I needed new shoes. So my mom said, okay, we're going to go to a store called Kmart. So Kmart at the time, she thought it was so cool. She thought it was like stood for Korean Mart. So we went to Kmart. And there was a shoe section, and there were shoes that only Kmart sold. Everyone knew only Kmart sold them. They're called tracks. T-R-A-X-X. Tracks. And they looked like any other normal shoe you'd find at Foot Locker, but they were from Kmart. And so I remember saying, I, don't, I, ain't, I definitely ain't going to get tracks. And so there were these high-top shoes there. They were made by tracks, but they were called athletics with two X's at the end. And I was trying to think to myself, what are the kind that the boys at school have? And it looked exactly like the athletics. And so I said, Mom, these are the ones that I need. These are the ones that I need, and I'll be so cool. And so my mom said, okay, they're a little bit expensive, but they're bigger. There's more material, so maybe they'll last longer. And so we bought them, and I wore them to school, and I couldn't wait to go to school that next day. Went to school sporting my athletics high tops. And I rolled up to school with my shiny new white athletics. And people were like, ooh, you got new shoes. They're like, what kind? I was like, same kind as y'all got. <clears throat> and then I looked at them, and I realized they didn't have athletics. They said Reebok on it. I was like, what? I said, I thought these were the same ones. They're like, no, no. They're, they're cool, though. They're cool. And for the next six months until my next shoes, until these shoes died, I was like, man, I'm such a loser. I'm such a dork. Everyone got Reebok, and I'm stuck here with the athletics. And so the next time, I remember, it was probably like a year, two years later, I was sporting these athletics for a long time. But the next time I went to get shoes, I said, Mom, I don't want to go to Kmart. I want to go to this. Everyone else was going to Foot Locker. I saw it in the mall. And so we went to Foot Locker, and I saw these Reebok shoes. They were like the junk. They were sweet, and they were on sale. I was like, Mom's going to let me get these. I said, Mom, these are the ones that I want. I tried them on. They were perfect. And I remember rocking these Reeboks to school. I went to school so excited. And in sixth grade, uh, there was a brother named Mike, Mike Williams. He was African-American. He was like the fashion police of Dogwood Elementary School. He was like so cool. Everybody wanted to be like him. He's like, yo, Davey, got new shoes. I was like, yeah, Reebok. And he looked at them, and he started shaking his head. He's like, David, David, David. Nike, Nike, you got to get Nike. I was like, are you kidding me? When did it change from Reebok to Nike? And I realized it's always changing. It's like Transformers constantly changing. I was like, I'm such a dork. I'm such a loser. And I I was so upset. And I realized I'm never going to be cool if it all comes down to clothing. I realized, man, I'm so stressed out and so worrying about what everybody's going to say. Why? Because I didn't have the concept that there was such thing as treasures outside of this earth. I thought it was all about what I see and what everybody says about life here. And so my treasures were on earth, and so I worried so much about what I'm going to wear 
and the clothes I'm going to have. And Jesus saying, listen, isn't life more important than these things? Why do you worry so much if your treasure is above You wouldn't be so concerned about getting all of these name brand things and about the coolest thing when it comes out. You wouldn't be so concerned about spending all of your money on these things because you realize that there's a better reward waiting for you in heaven. Are you worried, my friend, because you can't have all of the designer clothes that everybody wants you to have? You don't have that little whale that spews out water because you're not wearing vineyard vines and you're I'm not going to be cool. Jesus says, listen, there is a song. You remember this? I'm not cool, but that's okay. My God loves me anyway. I'm not cool, and that's all right. I'm still precious in his sight. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? There's a greater treasure that you live for as a child of God. This, this, this week, a few of us were at a, a church planning conference called Exponential. Um, couple Alex, Shara, I went with uh, our youth pastor, Daniel, and I. We were hanging out there, and uh, at one point, Daniel leaned over to me. He's like, hey, DL, you notice how everyone on stage, how tight their pants are? I was like, dude, I'm trying to worship. Don't talk to me right now. <laughs> I said, I, I noticed that. And he's like, dude, I'm going to get you skinny pants for your birthday. So people have been telling me about these skinny clothes all the time, but I, to me, they're just uncomfortable. It's weird. It's like, <laughs> it's like I don't want to wear, I don't want to be wearing like spandex out in public. It just doesn't make sense to me. And so people say you got to get with the times. I'm like, dude, I, I don't want to, I don't want to change my entire wardrobe to feel uncomfortable in order that our youth would say that I'm hip. To me, that doesn't, like, that's not, that's not exciting for me. There's a bigger thing worth living for. Life is more important than these things. And the more we realize that our treasure is in heaven, the less we'll begin to worry about, oh, my gosh, my clothes are outdated. Oh, my gosh, there's this huge sale. And yeah, there's a huge sale, but then you're going and you're stressing out about, do I want this or that or all these? He says, why do you worry? Isn't life more important than these? Your treasures are not here with what you see, child of God. Your treasures are in heaven. The first thing, remember where your treasure is. Second thing, second weapon that we see, remember what your priority is. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first God, and all these things that you worry about will be given to you as well. But put him first. Seek him first. This word seek, it's it's the language of of hunting. I don't know if you've ever gone hunting. I've never gone hunting before, but I've read about hunting. And and this idea of hunting means uh, literally to seek means that there's a hunter who's looking for hunting after seeking after a bird Not for sport, but for food. And so there's this sense of urgency that when the moment is there, I need to pounce. There's a sense of preparation and readiness that I'm always ready to seek that bird because when that moment comes, I've got to be ready. There's a sense in which there's a singularity of focus that there's not 
five things that we're looking at. We're not looking at the lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, a bird goes out. We're looking, focused on the bird. That's the only thing we're seeking because that's the only thing that matters in that moment. What Jesus is saying, seek first, be focused on, prioritize, be prepared to do whatever it takes for the sake of the kingdom and to be righteous in the eyes of God. And then all these other things, food, drink, money, clothing, will be added to you as well. What are you seeking first? What are you preparing your life for? My mentor used to say, you know what, David, you got to be ready for three things always when it relates to the kingdom. Be ready to move. Be ready with a message. Be ready to be martyred. For the sake of the kingdom, always be ready. Be ready to go wherever he sends you to go. Be ready to give a message whenever someone asks you. There's no, oh, I'm not ready. You always got to be ready. Always be ready, child of God. And then you got to be ready to die for the sake of the gospel. You're always prepared. Always ready to go home. Keep your list of sins short. Keep your list of people that uh, are against you short. Make quick reparations when you damage relationships. Be ready. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things that you worry about will be added to you as well. What are you seeking first? What is your priority in life? I remember hearing a series of prayer requests from one person over an extended period of time. And the way that this person would talk about their prayer request is they would say, I've got my wish list for God. I've got my to-do list for God. And I remember thinking, who are you to have a wish list for God? To give God a to-do list as if you are God's master rather than his servant. And this person would go on to say, yeah, and, and quite frankly, I'm not happy because God's not pulling through. He's not fulfilling his end of the bargain. As if God owed this person something. I said, no, 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 no. Listen, you don't pull on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. You don't take the mask off the Lone Ranger and you don't talk like that to God. You don't bite the hand that feeds you. And I remember just wanting to say, and, and, and on, on a couple occasions I did, I said, listen, you expect the best from God. You've got to be giving your best to God then. You seek first the kingdom of God. He's your priority. Then all these things will be added unto you. But you don't live however you want to live and then say you've got your honey-do list for God and then get angry that he's not pulling through. That doesn't make any sense. Now you put God first. You seek him first. You're willing to do what he wants you to do. This person wasn't even going to church, wasn't loving the Lord, wasn't living in outward sin, but wasn't living in obedience to the simple things of God. You want God's best for you, then you got to seek God's best and give him your best. Give him all that you are. He doesn't owe us anything. We owe God everything. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And what do you seek first in your life? I remember, you know, there, there are people who say uh, that I've, I've known in my life. They say, you know what? God's placed a call in my life to be a missionary full-time. I know that. So we say, so wh when are you going to go? 
well, first I'd like to get married first. I'd like to get married and then I'm going to go. And they've been waiting and they've been waiting and they've been waiting and they've been waiting. What if God doesn't want you to wait until you're married? What if God's, it's not in his cards for you to get married? Could that be possible? Or could it be possible that he really meant what he said when he says, seek first the kingdom of God? You put his priorities first and you go and you follow him, trusting that he will provide all these things that you need in order to carry out the will of God. We've had a a, a sister in the Middle East for the past 10 years or so, Clara, doing the work of God, serving faithfully in 1997 in a valley in Mexico, saw a shooting star, and she said the Lord promised her that one day she's going to be married. But right now your priority is to go and to follow me into the mission field. And so for the past, since that time, 20 years, she's been faithfully serving as a single lady in the mission field. And at the age of 40 on home assignment last year, she met the man to whom she'll be married two months later. And she said, it is all in the perfect plan of God. Like, do you believe, like, do you believe that if you seek God first, like he said, that all these things really will be added unto you as well? Do you believe that if you seek God first and his kingdom with your finances, that everything that you need will be provided for you? Do you believe this? That when God says, test me, trust me, that he really means it. That if you were to give him the first fruit of your tithe, that God does have ways of taking care of you. That sometimes it doesn't make sense how God is going to pull through for you, but he will. It's the promise of God. When you seek him first, you put him first, he will. He always, man, I can go countless times of how God has done that in my life. Then this morning, I, you know, my heart is, all, I want to do whatever I can. And I'm not trying, and I'm not trying to, to, to boast or brag about it, but every year I, I try and give more and more of what God gives to us to the sake of the kingdom, to missions, to our church, to whatever it is. And this year we're giving a little bit over 21% of our income away. And anytime we get more, I just want, I want to give more to the sake of the kingdom. And God's always been taking care of us. This past week, just crazy stuff happening. And we get a, a, a check in the mail for a couple hundred dollars, just Random stuff. This morning I came in and someone say, said to me, hey, there's been something that, that's going on with the IRS and you're going to get a check in the mail every, uh, in your mailbox every month for $350. And my first thought is, yeah, yeah that's more than we can do for the sake of the kingdom. We just want to give it away. And, and God always has ways of taking care of us. Always has ways of taking care of us. If we trust and believe that in seeking first his kingdom, that he will fulfill his end of the bargain. A lot of times we seek God. We love this promise. We want to seek him because we want all these things to be added unto us as well. But he's saying, no, seek me for my own sake and trust that everything that you need in abundance will be provided for you. I said, we're not living. I mean, we still go month to month. Sometimes I wonder how we're going to make sense of all of our finances at the end of the month. But we haven't gone in to touch our savings account or anything in years because the Lord has always provided everything that we've ever needed. Everything that we've ever needed. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? You've got an opportunity to relocate for college, for a job. What's your first line of thinking? 
What's more prestigious? What is the world going to approve of? What is making more money for me? What's going to get me more status? What's going to be a secure future? Or do you think what's best for the sake of the kingdom and for the righteousness of God in my life? Right? Shift our thinking, people of God. That's what he's saying. If you seek first the kingdom of God, I have ways beyond what you know have taken care of you. I'm rich beyond measure as I'm doing my devotional through Ephesians. It says in Ephesians 3 that God has glorious riches. He's not looking for, oh my gosh, you know what? They're, they're giving so much to me. Can I borrow? God doesn't need to borrow from anybody. He's got everything. He's got everything. And he has ways of dropping that into your mailbox, into your bank. It, however, and again, I say this all the time when I talk about this. I'm not saying that you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise all the time. Right? A lot of times we do suffer. That's part of living for Christ. But I'm saying we take God at his word. If we trust him, God's not going to fail us. He's not going to fail us. The second thing that we see. Third thing. Third weapon that we pull out is remember what day it is. Okay, remember what day it is. Verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus saying, listen, uh, a lot of times we worry so much about tomorrow. There, there was a time, in, I remember in, in middle school, uh, some guy was having a really bad day. It was like Monday or Tuesday. And he's just frustrated. He got a bad exam or whatever it is. And all this you know, middle-aged, uh, middle school angst is hitting him. And, and he's upset. And he says on this Monday or Tuesday, his face Tuesday, he said, man, why can't it just be Friday? And one of the dudes sitting next to this guy named Mark said, because it's Tuesday. That is so profound. A lot of us try to live out our Fridays on Tuesday. And that's why we're so overwhelmed with worry. We're constantly thinking about how am I going to make it there? What's going to happen in five years? What's going to happen in 10 years? Yeah, there has to be, you know, there's a legitimate place for planning and concern and stuff like that. But when legitimate concern becomes an all-encompassing, debilitating, soul-stifling, choking worry that keeps you from living in the freedom that Christ has won for you, then he's saying worry is sinful. And a lot of times... We're trying to figure out all of that stuff about then and how is this going to happen and what if these things. And, and Jesus says, listen, I promised you that I would give you strength to make it through today. When you get to Friday, I'll give you strength for Friday, but you live in the strength I gave to you today. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It's not one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never comes to an end. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That means every morning when you wake up, God gives you a dispensation of grace and strength and mercy to meet the challenge of that day. He doesn't give you three days of strength today. So that you could think about, oh my gosh, on Tuesday, I've got this major presentation, this major project. And so worrying he says, it doesn't give you strength for today. It robs today of its strength. Constantly letting emotional and spiritual energy seep out of us, attacks our physical bodies. We get sick because we're living out our tomorrows today. 
when uh, we went to California a few, a few weeks ago, it was the first time that in a while that our whole family had flown together. And so it was the first time that our oldest daughter, Manny, was able to understand a little bit more about flying. And so I had all of our boarding passes, and Manny said, Daddy, what is that? And I said, it's, a, it's your boarding pass. I've got one for every single one of us, and it's what gets us on the airplane. If you don't have this, you cannot go from here to there. And she said, Daddy, can I have it? And I said, no, Manny, I'm not going to give it to you right now. This is Corey Ten Boom, you similar illustration. So, Manny, I'm not going to give it to you right now because you don't need it right now. You don't need it right now. She says, when do I get it? I said, I'll give it to you right before you get on the airplane because that's when you need it. You don't know how you're going to make it through tomorrow? You will tomorrow because right when you get on the airplane to tomorrow, God will give you the strength that you need. You don't know how you're going to make it when your child goes off to college, your last one. You don't know how you're going to make it. You will when you get there because God will give you what you need when you need it. You don't know what you're going to do, how you're going to make it. When your spouse one day, who means everything to you, goes home to be with the Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it. You will when you get there. Because God will give you the strength that you need when you need it in order to get from where you are to where you need to be. The third thing, remember what day it is. Live today. The last thing, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Throughout this passage, one of the things I'm struck and noticed by is how many times Jesus points to the fatherly care of God as the reason for which we don't need to worry. My, uh, my family and I, we have, um, so one of, one of my friends, he's a pastor in, in Virginia, um, he does this thing, and so our family's kind of started doing this. Whenever the kids go off to school or whenever um, I leave to go to church or to go to a meeting or wh- whatever it is and the kids are home, we look at each other, this is going to be really cheesy, and Manny didn't want me to say it because she's like, this is a secret just between us. But I said, it's okay, Manny. I'm, t- I'm helping people to see Jesus. It's okay. <laughs> so uh, we hit each other twice. We say, God and our family loves you. I always say that. God and our family loves you before you go. Because I want them to know. Remember whose you are. You have a family who loves you. You have a God who loves you. You are never alone. God and our family loves you. And so Manny, would do, before I leave, I'm in the car. She's like, Daddy, Daddy, wait. <laughs> and Elijah will look at her, and then he'll, he'll say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> and then Elise will look at them. Say, Daddy, Daddy. And she'll just like hit herself like 50 times. <laughs> the other day, Manny said, Daddy, do you know how Elise does it? And I'm not going to do it because it's really silly. But the way Manny imitates Elise imitating Elijah imitating Manny is awesome. It's so funny. (laughs) But I want my family, my kids to always know, to always know God and our family love you. Remember not only who you are, but more important than that, remember whose you are. You're part of our family. You're part of something bigger. And you've got a father who loves you and cares for you. Not me, and a father in heaven. Well, I do, but a father in heaven who loves you infinitely more than anyone else ever could 
and he will take care of you like mom and dad never could. Isn't that what happens when we gather as a body? We remind ourselves of whose we are, that I've got a family, and I've got a father who loves me. What we do on Sundays in our house churches when our youth ministry gathers is we worship the Lord in order that worry would give way to worship. That our panic would be displaced by praise. That our trembling would give way to thanksgiving when we realize we're part of a family. Even when we're not here, Jesus says there is a congregation that is singing and preaching. Look at the birds and look at the flowers. The birds, when they sing their song, they're your praise team. The flowers, the lilies, they're your preachers, and they're saying the same thing. What are they saying? saying, Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. The way that they take care, he takes care of us, He will take care of you. In fact, you are much more valuable than many of us. You believe that. Remember whose you are. Or do you constantly live life as if you're an orphan? Running around as if there's no one to help you. This is why it's so important. And whenever I wake up in the morning and I spend time in the word and I spend time in prayer, all of the anxieties and the worries of my day melt away. That's why I love times like Daniel Fast, where when we have morning prayer service, I just love that unhindered time. I tell people, man, unless I wake up to beat my children, not, not to beat them, but unless I beat my children away... Not, Unless I wake up before my children. (laughs) Uh, If any of you work for the Department of Children and Families, don't. (laughs) Unless I awake before my kids, I won't have time to experience that peace. And my day will be filled with worry and anxiety. But if I spend that time in the morning, just, Lord, I've got a meeting with this person. I've got to go to this place. I've got to deal with this challenge. I just lay it before the Lord God. And there is a, a powerful dispensation of the grace of God. I, I mean, it is, it is supernatural. And this is the Lord's promise to us. Remember who you are. He will never leave us. What, what, about the, what about the people? What about the people who are losing their lives? to persecution, people who are going hungry. God abandoned his promise in them. And I think one of the simple things that we have to understand is that, no, God has not forgotten. He's not fallen asleep on them. He hasn't gone out to eat lunch. He's not on vacation. God sees. God knows. And the promise of God is not that you will be free from suffering and harm in your life. In fact, he says the opposite. If you are a child of God, there will be suffering. There will be hardship. There will be pain. But the promise of God is that as you seek me first, everything that you need for life to accomplish by will 
will be given to you. No doubt about that. The only person who ever knew the abandonment of the Father, the one we know well. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? cried the Son of God, the only begotten. Forsaken the cross in order that we would never be forgotten. Abandoned at Calvary in order that we would always be held so that we could be forgiven and that we could be adopted, that we could be brought into a family, that we could know whose we are. The hand of the Father released the hand of His only begotten. That Jesus was let go so that the promise of God could be true in our lives, that He'll never let go of us. CNN <coughs> ran this story this week. This father and his six-year-old son, that father videotaped this at an amusement park called Wonderland in Amarillo, Texas. They were on this one ride, a little wooden roller coaster. And as it was going, right about to go on that first drop, the boy's seatbelt came off. And he fell to the bottom of that car. And he was flipping out. Father grabbed a hold of him and he said, I got you. I got you. You're okay. I promise you. I've got you. And he did. There's video to prove it. As soon as he did, the boy said, Dad, you got me. And all the worry began to give way to this amazing sense of calm because he knew my dad's got me. He promised. He's going to pull through. You have a father because I got you. And so much of dispelling worry is understanding is one thing that my, my, my friend prays over his daughters every day when they go to school. He doesn't just pray, Lord, help them to know that you love them and you're with them. But he says, help them to know how dear they are to you and how near you are to them. It's what every single one of us needs. It's what every single one of us has because of Christ. Let's pray. As Jesus has given us weapons in the war against worry, it says, remember where your treasures are. Remember what your priority is. Remember what day it is and remember whose you are. Which of these weapons do you need to pick up and wield right now in the war with worry? Which of these weapons do you need to hold on to? Maybe two of them, maybe three of them do you need to cling to right now as you battle against worry? Let's pick these up right now. Let's wield them and say, Lord, help me. Help me to overcome. Help me to fight. Help me to not give in to and roll over and lie down in the war with worry. But Lord, help me to overcome so that I might know the peace of God that passes all understanding. And let's take a couple moments right now to pray to the Lord. Say, Lord, here are the things that I worry about. But if I really, really trust the teachings of my Savior, 
but really trust the one who subjected himself to everything that causes us worry in order that we might be freed from worry. If I believe what you say, then certainly I can overcome. Let's spend a few moments right now in prayer. Guys, don't be a slave to worry. Don't lose the battle against worry time and time again. But here and now, this is where we pick up the weapons. This is where we choose. There's a soldier in all of us. The choice to fight is up to you. Let's pick up our weapons against worry. Let's fight the good fight. Let's overcome so that we might know the promised peace, so that we might be able to give that peace through Christ to others in their times of need. Let's pray together for a couple moments and then I'll lead us in some other response. Let's pray. Honestly, let's pray. Sincerely asking the Lord, Lord, help me to overcome worry, anxiety in my life. Let's pray together. right now to pray, don't have the strength to pray, but maybe in the touch of a brother or sister, power will come into you, strength will come into you, hope will come into you, peace will come into you, so that you can live for the day. God gives us strength today that we might live for Him, and often through people. Let's pray. If you want to pray aloud, you can do that. You don't have to yell or scream, but pray aloud. You can encourage and bless somebody. Let's pray for one another for just a couple moments, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll continue to worship at the table of God's grace. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you so much for your love in our lives. Thank you for your faithful love. Thank you that sometimes we receive your love through songs, sometimes through prayers, sometimes through your word, sometimes, many times, through your people. Thank you that you've given so many weapons at our disposal in order that we might wield them and wage war against worry. So help us, Father. Help us not to just say that there's nothing that can be done. It is what it is. I will constantly be a worrier. Oh, Lord, awaken us with a new hope in Christ, through your spirit, through the gospel, through your people, in order that we might be able to overcome and be able to live in the peace of Christ so that those who know your peace can show your peace and give your peace to a world that is so desperately in need of answers that only you can provide. So help us, Lord. We love you for just a faint reflection of your love for us. We love because you have loved us first. You continue to love us still, and you will never stop loving us. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.